So we are um, in this series in the Old Testament. It's called Kings of Israel. And I want to encourage you. Um, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We have a little devotional. It's called North Point Daily. And we printed 300 of these. And there are probably, probably people from first service took the last of them. How many of you have taken a copy so far of North Point Daily? Raise your hands really high, really, really high. If you have not, okay, put them down. If you have not taken a copy, oh, no, I'm not going to make you put up your hands. So listen, so, you know, we, our desire is that we would get into God's word on a daily basis, right? And there's lots of ways to do it. Like, listen, you can go on a great app called YouVersion. You've got your old standard traditional Bible, hard copy Bible, you know, but we want you guys, that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to be changed is by being in God's word on a daily basis, like, it's just like life-changing for us to do that. The Holy Spirit then causes God's word to come alive. Like we pray, say, God, would you give me a discerning heart, which is a prayer that Solomon prayed that we're going to talk about today. But this is a tool. And so it'll be, we've run out of them probably, but I want to encourage you, you can get it online. Uh, you can go to our website or our app. It'll be up tomorrow. It's done on a month-by-month -month or a series-by-series -series basis, right? And so um, it's a five-day-a-week devotional it helps you just kind of read and understand and apply God's word to your life on a daily basis. We, whatever we talk about on Sunday mornings, it helps you go much deeper because we can't talk about everything on Sunday morning. So this is an incredible tool. Grab a copy of this on your way out, and this will really help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus. So, uh, so we're in the series called um, Kings of Israel, and we've been talking about uh, King David in particular, and this week we're talking about King Solomon. And, uh, you know, Solomon was this, this figure um, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He's also mentioned in the New Testament that everybody's heard, of, just about everybody's heard of this guy named King Solomon. And the reason you know him is because of the wisdom that he had. Matter of fact, God's word says about him that, there, that you know, God speaks to Solomon. He says, Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom and there won't be, there has never been anyone like you before and there won't be anyone like you afterwards. And so we think about him, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian, you know, whether you're a Buddhist or whether you're a Muslim or whether you're, you name it, just about everybody has heard about the wisdom of King Solomon. But I want you to know, he's just one of the most interesting people in the Bible. And um, non-Christians talk about King Solomon. And there's a phrase that I had come across recently that I think describes him pretty well. Um, it's a phrase that I heard a non-Christian say. It's called Solomon's Paradox. Solomon's Paradox. And you'll, maybe you're going to identify this with this. Solomon, to me, was such an interesting person because God gave him this gift of wisdom, a heart of understanding, of knowing the difference between right and wrong, and being able to communicate that to other people very, very well. And he was an incredible leader because of that. And amazing things happened because of this wisdom he had. But you know what Solomon didn't do well? You know what was paradoxical? That Saint, the wisdom that Solomon applied towards other people, guess what he didn't do? He didn't apply it towards himself. Like, he made really stupid decisions. He was the dumbest wise guy I've ever heard of. And why do I say that? Because... 
Solomon can meet with you and talk with you and have a discussion with you about your life and he could tell you what God might be saying to him and through him and help you through the situation in, in your life. But in his own life, he was a disaster. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. He was just a disaster personally. He made really poor choices. Solomon was this guy personally who I think he let the world around him, culture, affect his decision-making about his own life. Now, you know, there are some churches, you know, they are, they have their bent or what they want to do, what they want to talk about. There's some churches, you know, that they're like, they're like culture warriors. Like, you know, if you go sit in their church, you might as well be listening to Fox News. That's what it feels like. You just go and it's just like Fox News in that church. Because that's what they want to do is talk about culture. We talk about culture at our church when it's relevant to what God's word is saying specifically. You know, our bent is not to talk about culture. Our bent is to talk about what God's word says. And there are times that they intersect and they do talk about the same thing. And this morning in our passage, I think 1 Kings chapter 3, you know, I think we'll have on the slide, Jesse, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon makes some decisions and he's influenced by culture. And because of that, he makes some really stupid decisions about his own life. Really poor decisions. And as Christians, we have to be careful. Am I making my decisions for my own life based upon what God and his word says? Or based upon what other people around me are doing and what culture says? Like, who's influencing me more? And, and listen, the Bible says, Solomon, God says about him, no one, there will, there's never been anyone like you and there'll never be anyone like you. But yet, he made really bad decisions about his own life. Now, l- listen to, re- let's read this here. So Solomon was the third king of Israel. Okay, this is a thousand years before Christ. So 3,000 years ago, this is all taking place. And the writer of scriptures of 1 Kings is more of a historical narrative. So it's telling us the history of how things happen. And it says Solomon, when he became a king, it says Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he married one of his daughters. And he brought her to live in the city of David, which is Jerusalem, until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Now, just hold on a second there, Jesse. There's a lot to unpack in this, just these first two verses. What's interesting, the very opening line, we see it says Solomon made an alliance with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He married one of his daughters. And what's really interesting is Deuteronomy Chapter 17, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book, has instructions. And God says to his people, hey, listen, if you have a king ever, here's some instructions to your kings. Don't accumulate too much wealth. Don't have lots of horses. And don't marry foreign women. And God gives very specific instructions. And Solomon does exactly the opposite. He marries a foreign woman. 
Now, it's not so much that she was foreign. Like, that's not the problem. The problem is that she worshiped other gods. That was the problem. And I don't know, we, we keep on coming back this week after week, these last month or so, about this issue. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it's not going to be on the screen, but he says, don't be un, but Christians, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. In other words, if you're a Christian and you're headed this way towards Jesus and you're entering into this relationship with a non-believer and they're headed this way, that's unwise. Don't do that. We don't, we don't encourage, here at North Point, we don't encourage missionary dating. You ever heard that term? Okay. Right? You know, you get it, missionary dating. Oh, that person's not a Christian. I'm going to go date that person so they can become a Christian. That's called mission. Okay. Anyway, so we don't encourage that, right? The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. Be careful of the partnerships or relationships you're having with people that are not Christ followers. In the very beginning, God says, kings, don't marry... And, and Solomon's like, well, you know, it makes sense. Like, this is a political, like, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. So often God's people, so often us, we make excuses and we rationalize and we justify why we are sinning. Don't we? Someone say amen. amen. It's like, well, you know, the government already takes too much taxes from me. Amen. So I'm just going to take a little bit back because, you know, I can rationalize it. I can justify it. And we do that time and time again in our lives. There's these little areas that we compromise. And Solomon's compromising from the very beginning of when he's leading. It says at that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship. The temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Other translations say they, that people made sacrifices at high places. And what they're talking about, they're not talking about like smoking high. They're talking about like high places, like, you know, the ground is high. It's a mountaintop high. Because people in the cultures thought, oh, well, there's these gods out there. And we want to get closer to these gods out there. So we have to go up to a high place. And all of a sudden, this cultural idea about going to high places started to infiltrate and permeate God's people. And they started doing the exact same thing. Like culture was impacting them more than they were impacting other people around them. So they start going to these other places. The Old Testament book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 29. God says, when you are making burnt offerings, when you're making these sacrifices and offering to God, Come to Jerusalem to do it. And do it at the tabernacle. This is before the temple was there. Do it there specifically. Don't go to all these other places, but come to God's place where God is present at. But that's not what God's people started doing. Because it, it, it was just way more convenient to do something different. Going on here in verse 4 or verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord and he followed all the decrees of his father David. Oh, isn't that cool? Solomon loved the Lord. Like he wanted to follow God and serve God. He did. It says that he loved him. And he, and he wanted to follow all the decrees of his father. Like, it's like, but we know David wasn't perfect. So we know he made some huge mistakes. And it says that Solomon followed all the, all the decrees of his father David. Just like David, he made some mistakes. Because it says he loved the Lord except... Everybody say accept. Right, accept. 
I bet there's somebody in this room or someone watching online who loves the Lord except like there's that thing, there's that area of my life that I just don't want to quite surrender. It doesn't say that he doesn't love God. He says he did, Nady. He loved the Lord except, I love the Lord except that Solomon, and it says except because it was, Solomon was disobedient. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He loved the Lord except he offered sacrifices and burnt incense at high places or local places of worship. Like he was being influenced by culture just like everybody else was being influenced by culture. He wasn't listening to God's voice, God's word that says, don't do this, Solomon. This is not what's best for you. Oh, wow. I can love the Lord, but have an accept in my life. Probably there's somebody here that has an accept in your life. What is it that God might be speaking to you about this morning? Like where culture says, this is okay. But God says, but that's not what I said. The most important of these high places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and he sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. Solomon goes to some place that God says, don't go. And he does something. He makes an offering, a sacrifice. But it's not what God, how God said to do it. It says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Now, Solomon probably thought, oh, wow. I mean, have you ever been there? This, this says a little bit, this doesn't say as much about Solomon as it does about God. What is it saying is that sometimes I can be doing really stupid things and I can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes God still shows up, John, and he still speaks to me and says, hey, I'm talking to you. And don't confuse God's goodness and God's grace with your disobedience. Someone say amen. You ever had that happen? Like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And God all of a sudden he speaks to me. Like maybe some of you right now are, I don't know, doing something you shouldn't be doing. And God's still speaking to you. It's not that you're doing the right thing. It's just that God's being very gracious to you. Or merciful to you. And in spite of your disobedience, he loves you. And he knows that you love him. But you're just being kind of like a knucklehead. Right? Being a little disobedient. I love you, Jesus, except this one thing in my life. And I don't know. Solomon might have gotten really confused. He might have thought, well, I'm, everything must be okay. God's speaking to me. I'm having a dream. It says that the, that night the Lord appeared to him again in a dream. And God said to him, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I, there's a lot of things I would have asked for. But it says that Solomon replied, God, you showed great and faithful love to my servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And Solomon said those things about his dad, and those things were true even though that David made huge mistakes. That gives me hope, right? Okay, even though I made huge mistakes, God can still say about me, it's true about my character. And he says, God, you have continue to show this great and faithful love to my father David today by giving him a son. Like, God, you did this. You gave him a son to sit on his throne. 
Now, O Lord, my God, you've made me king instead of my father. There's this humility about Solomon. Like, God, I know that, I know that's not about me. There's this attitude of humility, of knowing, of Solomon knowing who to go to. He says, God, I'm, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Although most scholars would say Solomon was probably at least in his early 20s at this point in time. He says, I'm like a little child. I'm in my 20s, but I really don't know, God. I'm, I have to depend upon you. I'm in this situation. Here I am in the midst of your own chosen people. A nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. So God, give me an understanding heart. Other translations say, so God, give me wisdom. Or give me a listening heart. God, I need, I need to hear you. I need to hear you. God, give me an understanding heart. Why? So that I can serve you. So I can govern your people well. And I can know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? It's interesting. Some theologians say, you might notice this. He says, I want to know the difference between right and wrong. And some people tie this all the way back into Genesis, into Adam and Eve. When God said, I've given you one command. I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You guys don't get to decide about what's right and what's wrong. You've got to listen to me. But they, Adam and Eve, said, nope, God, I'm going to decide. And some of us in our own lives were like, nope, God, I love you, except I get to decide this is right or this is wrong. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They were like, oh, no, God, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to make the choice and decision about this thing in my life. And a lot of theologians hearken back to Solomon and how Solomon doesn't say that. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to make the decision. He says, God, you tell me about what's right and what's wrong. That's this wisdom aspect that I don't know. I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I can't determine this. And if I follow what culture says, I'm surely in a lot of trouble. Amen? Because that's what happened to Solomon. He started following culture too, just like all the people were. But he prays and he asks for wisdom. He says, God, I need wisdom so I can serve you. I can't do this on my own. There's this humility about him. Next verse. It says the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. I, I wonder if God's pleased, Krista, when you pray and when you ask God for what you need in your life. Is God pleased? It says that he was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. So God replies, he says, because you've asked for wisdom and governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies. I mean, I, that's probably what some of us would have asked for, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I will give you what you asked and I will give you what you asked for and I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever had or ever will have. Next slide. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me, if you obey my decrees and my commandments as your father David did, I will give you a long life. It's like Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. He says to us, he says, seek first my kingdom 
It's God saying, Solomon, Solomon, seek first my kingdom and everything else that you need, everything else will be taken care of. And he repeats the same thing in the New Testament with Jesus saying it to us. And God's saying it to Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and everything else will be taken care of. And But it says, I want you to notice. He says in verse 14, if. If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, I will give you a long life. God gives Solomon wisdom. But I want you to know something. It wasn't meant to be a one-shot deal like, oh, Solomon receives wisdom and boom, that's it. He's got it for the rest of his life. Solomon's problem is a lot of our problems. Solomon didn't keep on going back to God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, depending upon him, leaning upon him. It wasn't meant to just be this one and done. It was meant to be this ongoing relationship. Sometimes we're like that. I'm in a crisis, I'm in a moment, I go to God, God speaks to me, whatever. But we're like Solomon too. We don't go back to God time and time and time again. And that was Solomon's challenge. He didn't do that. Solomon was incredibly wise. People from all over the world came and sought him out. But he couldn't seem to apply that wisdom to his own life. I want you to look in your Bible. If you, This is not going to be on the screen. I'm going to make you guys look in your, on your phone or your Bible later on. Or you and your Bible if you brought it. I'm sure none of you did. But I want you to look in your Bible. I want you to read, um, I want you to read with me, let's see. Ver, uh, chapter 4, I want you to notice just a couple things. I'm just going to highlight this, okay. Chapter 4, speaking of Solomon in verse 32, it says, Solomon composed some 3,000 proverbs and he wrote over 1,500 songs. Like, Solomon wrote uh, in the Old Testament most, if not all, the proverbs that we have. The book of Ecclesiastes, there's another love story book, a love letter book called the Song of Solomon. He wrote that too. Like Solomon, God spoke to him and spoke through him and he wrote so many things. But I want you to listen to this. Flip over to chapter 10 for a second. Or actually, uh, yeah, chapter, chapter, chapter 9 first. Chapter 9 verse, verse 21. You'll notice it says, Solomon was building the temple, and it says that he constrict, strip, constricted. Yeah, am I saying it right? He constricted them as slaves, and they served as forced laborers to this day. It says that he constricted, stricted. I'm saying that wrong. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyways, he took all these people and he made them slaves, right? Later on, he's building the temple, and he forced people into slavery. You know who the last one that the Bible talks about forcing people into slavery was? Pharaoh. He's building the temple and he makes people become slaves. Later on, listen to this. Chapter 10, uh, verse 14. is going to talk about Solomon's wealth. It says, each year Solomon received about, this is a new NLT, New Living Translation. It says, each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. The literal, the English Standard Version says, he received 666 talents of gold each year. What number do we sound, does that sound like? 666, the mark of the beast. It's just like, whoa, what's going on here? All these little things, these kind of these hyperlinks. Solomon, he's wise and 
but yet he's acting really foolish. Going on there in chapter 10, it talks about his wealth, how he made 200 shields of hammered gold and each weighing more than 15 pounds and 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing 400 pounds. It says that he made this huge throne, had lions leading up to his throne room, up and down, the, the, the steps going up and down. It says that silver, in verse 21, silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships. All it was, it was for collecting money. He would go and he would buy and he'd sell things. He'd bring back silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. And then verse 23 says, Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to see him, consult him, and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Verse 26, he built up this huge force. He had chariots and horses, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. It says, verse 28, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. Verse 29, you got to get us. Catch us. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces. And they were exported. He bought them and then he would export them to the kings of Hiram and, and, Hiram and Aram, the Hittites and the Ammonites. Solomon became an international arms dealer. That's what he was. He would go to Egypt. He'd buy horses and he'd buy chariots. And then he'd bring them and then he'd resell them to everybody else around him. He was like a literal arms dealer. Like those were war vehicles. He accumulated all this wealth. Let me go read a couple, just a couple more things about him. Chapter 11. So, now remember earlier it said that Solomon loved the Lord, right? Remember that? He loved the Lord. Listen to what chapter 11 says about him. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married people from Moab and Ammon and Eden and Sidon and the Hittites. And, you know, he says that the Lord had clearly instructed the people, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart from the Lord. In his old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord to his father, as his father David had been. It's like, wow. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy, God specifically gives instructions to kings. He says, hey, don't go back to Egypt. Don't buy horses there. Don't collect too much money. Don't have chariots and horses and all this wealth. Everything God says not to do, Solomon what? He does. It's the, it's the Solomon paradox. God speaks to me and I can have so much wisdom for everybody else around me. But I'm blind and I make foolish choices and decisions with my own life. I allow culture and other things to influence me, my own personal decisions, more than I allow what God's word to affect and to change my life. There's another uh, book called uh, uh, um, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, just a couple more passages. Nehemiah 13, I want you to read Nehemiah 13 verse 23. It's talking about, about God's people and how they would marry other people from other nations who didn't worship God. 
And this guy named Nehemiah is talking about it. Nehemiah 13, verse 23. And he's talking about coming back to Jerusalem, to Israel, and about how God's people were marrying other people. He says, about that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of these other people. He says, so I confronted them and I called down curses on them. Now, this is God's prophet, a spokesperson from God. He says, I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Then he says, wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully to God by marrying foreign women? God's saying, guys, Solomon loved God except. And I wonder about our lives. Like he prayed and asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. But Solomon had a really, really hard time applying that to his own life. And I'm just wondering this morning, what is it in your life that God might be putting his finger on? Not that you don't love Jesus, but you're just saying, God, I want to choose about what's right or what's wrong in this area of my life. And I don't think there's a single person that's in here that probably doesn't have something in their lives right now that God's putting his finger on. A couple of things that just, as I, as I kind of finish up, a couple of things I want you to walk away with and think about. I wrote in my notes, there's no feelings to say, but you might want to write this, these things down. I wrote, Solomon didn't turn away from God all at once. It just began as this little justifiable sin. And it happened one sin at a time. Solomon didn't turn away from God all at once. It like made sense that he would marry Pharaoh's daughter. He justified it. He rationalized it. And so he did it. And that's like a lot of us in our lives. Like, well, you know, I love you, God, but accept this in my life. Secondly, it's not the sins we don't know about, but the sins that we excuse that cause us the greatest trouble. Okay, I want you to hear that again. It's not the sins that I don't know about, because I'm sure for all of us, there's sin in my life right now that I'm not even aware of, because five years ago I didn't think that was a sin or whatever, and all of a sudden God starts revealing things to me, and we grow and we change and we mature, right? And all of a sudden we realize different things. It's not the sins that I don't know about, but it's the sins I do know about and I don't deal with that cause me the most trouble in my life. Those are the things that I'm being rebellious about. We need to be like David, uh, Solomon talks about his dad and how his dad, David, was this. You know what was so great about David? David, when he was confronted with sin, he didn't excuse it. He didn't rationalize it. He just said, yep. You caught me red-handed. That was wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to share it with my other brother, with my other, with my other brother in Christ. Well, for him, it was, you know, following God, Yahweh. But that's what David did. And some of us this morning were like, oh, yeah. I, I, need, to, I need to confess that to God this morning. 
David didn't excuse it, but he confessed it. He accepted it. He said, God, I need the strength to resist and to, and to change. The last thing I wrote is that God comes to us this morning. He asks us the same question that he asked to Solomon. Solomon, what do you want? What do you want? John chapter 15, I think Jesse's like third to last slide. John chapter 15, Jesus said this. If you remain in me, right, you continue to seek after me on a regular, on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, am I going to ask for something that pleases God? Because sometimes I might ask for stuff that doesn't please God and God grants it anyways. God gives it anyways. And man, a, there's a terrible price we have to pay. There's a lot of things that I probably prayed for I wish I hadn't prayed for. So how about you? Amen. It's like God comes to you this morning and he asks you the same question. What is it that you want from me? First John chapter 5. We have these words from the Apostle John. He says, we are confident that God hears us whenever we ask and pray for anything that pleases him. Anything that pleases him. Hebrews chapter 12 is one of my favorite passages because it talks about running. And you guys know I like to run. In Hebrews 12, Paul, or whoever the, whoever's writing Hebrews, says this. That we are to strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. For some of us, we have triggers in our life. And you know what that trigger is. That trigger sin, it seems like it's that, that where the enemy has got a stronghold or a foothold in your life. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, what is it specifically, that sin that so easily trips you up? He says, and there are other things in our lives that slow us down. I don't even know if it's necessarily even talking about sin, but things that interfere, that distract me away from my walk and my relationship with Jesus Christ. What are those things in your life that they just slow you down? They just distract you. And then what are those things that are those besetting sins, that strongholds in your life? The writer says that let us run with endurance because we're in a race. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this. We can take off these things when we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Like Jesus is the one who does the work in your heart and in your life. One last closing scripture. Song of Psalms. Again, Solomon wrote this. And he says, it's the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards. So catch them, for the grapes are in full blossom. And I like to refer to this passage. Solomon's like, hey, it's the little foxes. It's the little things in your life. The little compromises, Solomon is saying, that destroy the fruit, the work that God is doing in your life. See, these foxes, when they were in the vineyards that Solomon saw with his own eyes, I don't know why, but apparently they couldn't, when the, when the grapes were, were out, they couldn't climb up on those. They would, instead, they would destroy the whole vine and they would dig and dig and dig and shake the, shake the fruit off the vine and then they would destroy the whole vine. And Solomon's like, hey, what are the little foxes in your life that's destroying the fruit in your life? Solomon loved God 
accept. Solomon was wise, but man, he had a hard time applying God's word to his own life. What is God speaking to you about this morning in your life? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for my friends that are here this morning and those that are listening online. Father, week after week, we are in awe and thankful that you show up to speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that my friends that are here this morning and those that are listening online would receive what you have for us this morning. That you would give us wisdom and that you would quicken our hearts. Lord, that we may follow you with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, Lord, with all of our thoughts and our emotions, every part of our lives. Father, I pray for my friends that are here that you've spoken to. Help us to be quick this morning to confess that area that you've placed your finger on, that accept part of our lives that maybe we've been influenced and shaped by culture more than we have by you. Just right now, all across this room and those who are watching, just take a moment and just confess this morning that area of your life and ask Jesus to bring freedom. Jesus, thank you that you've come to set us free. Not just free in heaven, but free now from these areas of our lives that we've held back from. Jesus, we love you. More importantly, we thank you, Jesus, that you love us. And you died for us, paid a price for our sins. That we wouldn't have to live under that condemnation. Help us to be set free, Jesus.